Welcome to the Gin Ignite podcast. Whether you want to party or stay in, gin will ignite. This is the weekly show coming to you on a Friday, ready for the weekend, where we go through all things gin. If you want to find more out more information, catch me on Instagram at Gin Ignite or alternatively go to the website www.ginignite.com. Welcome to the show and let's get on with it. Hello and welcome to episode 12. Today we're going to chat to Tristan Jorgensen from the South Ormsby Estate. He's the head distiller at the Massingbird Monday Distillery. Now I thought, always thought distillers were sort of locked in the basement and only let out every so often just to make sure that the actual gin was the correct consistency and the correct taste, but apparently not. Now I, I know uh, Tristan from sort of a couple of lives and from getting to know him on Round of Gin as well. And he really isn't that kind of person at all. Um, he's very sort of vocal and, and very interesting about talking about the distillation process and about his, his gins. He started in the spirits business in 2005 at the Lefroig Distillery on the island of Islay, just off Scotland. And now he not only has built up a distillery from scratch, it was literally just a shed with nothing in it, and now has a still. And he also has two gins under his belt, but more from him a little bit later on. I'd like to say a big thank you to the community for their help and support for Laura last week. She had an amazing launch, and I'm sure, judging from the comments, that people have been very, very interested in her coffee gin and a coffee orange gin. I know I've tasted both and they are fantastic. I don't know how somebody can combine those very strong flavours together, but she has absolutely managed it. If you listen to me on a podcast directory, I was wondering whether you could do me a big, big favour and you could spare a few minutes and just write me a review. That would be absolutely fantastic. It really helps the podcast kind of uh, go forward in, in, the, in the particular directory that you're in. So... If you're able to do that, that would be absolutely fabulous. I'm also very excited to say that I've got Ian Paget from Logo Geek coming to the podcast. Not this episode, but next episode. So if you're interested in posing any questions you've got on logos or brands, I would love to have them. You can either direct message me with your questions, either at Gin Ignite on Twitter or Instagram, or alternatively, send a message to podcast at ginignite.com. Would really love to have as many questions as I can from me. And so it doesn't matter whether you're a distiller or whether you're just a normal Instagram user, everybody's got questions about logos. You know, we've seen some really great logos in the community. I know mothers underscore not underscore ruined underscore has just brought out a fantastic logo that I know a friend designed for her and it is really, really amazing. If you haven't seen it, definitely uh, go to her profile. She was actually my Instagram shout out for last week and it is an absolutely amazing logo. This week's weekly recommendation, drumroll please, is The Botanist. If you want to follow a brand and, you know, I, I think Ian would be very interested in this brand as well, then following The Botanist on Instagram is just really, really amazing. They're always doing their lives about the various ingredients they've sourced. On World Gin Day was absolutely amazing. They kind of tracked people all over the world that were making cocktails with the botanist gin. 
which is absolutely fabulous and really, really amazing to watch. The bottle is also really interesting, not just for its shape. It has 22 botanical Latin names inscribed and they're literally inscribed so you can feel them almost like sort of braille on the bottle. And it gives it sort of a real tact, tactile feel, I think. You know, because you just want to pour another one, really. Or, or is that just me? Probably just, no, it probably isn't just me. But anyway, the nose of the gin can only be described as botanical. It's not the in-your-face nose that you get from a London dry gin. You just basically get all 22 botanicals in your nasal cavity. The taste, what can I say, other than 22 botanicals hit your tongue all at the same time, but they do so in unison. I have to say, this is one of my favourite botanicals. I think it's fairly versatile. It can be used with most tonics. It also works very, very well in cocktails. And I think it would work in a dry martini, although given the price, I think that's quite decadent. But, you know, probably a really good idea to do every once in a while. OK, I don't really want to blaspheme on this episode, but I have to tell you that I do also like whiskey. And I was kind of a fan of that a little bit before gin. Now, If I buy whiskey, it has to come from the island of Islay, just off Scotland. And this, coincidentally, is where Tristan first started in the Lafroy distillery as a production operative, mashing the mutual grain spirit as well as the distillation process. Now, I always imagine a head distiller, which is now what Tristan does, is a figure that you kind of keep in the basement and you don't really allow them out. They only come out every so often just to make sure that your gin is exactly how it should be. And the reason you want to do that is because essentially the um, secret mixture is then sort of never revealed to anybody. However, I know that that is not the case for Tristan. I've seen him on a couple of lives now. The last one being on Friday night with Kerry Lee from Glass of Gin underscore Packet of Seeds. He moved from Lafroig to the Chase Distillery in Hereford and then did some consultancy-based roles before ending up on the South Ormsby estate and setting up their Massingbird Monday Distillery. He is the first distiller that we've had on the show, and I'm very, very keen to talk to him. Hello, Tristan. Good morning. So, how did you get into distilling in the first place? Uh, it, it all comes back to a 2005 when my then-wife, uh, family moved up to the Isle of Isla um, as a minister of the church. Okay. Um, and we just went on um, a few family holidays, and I had two young children at the time. And we just decided as a family it would have been a, a, a wonderful place to, to live and to work and to bring up some the, our two children. So we, we, we sold our house and we, we moved to the, the Isle of Isla. Wow. Wow. And, and, after that, you, you, obviously, you were in Lefroy for a, a little bit of time. And where did you move after that? Um, so, yeah, so after um, after I left Lefroy, uh, my marriage had broken down and my family was all still back in Cheltenham. So okay. I, I took the hardest decision of my life to, to, to leave Lefroy, leave Isla, uh, leave my two children and move home, essentially. Right, um, and then it was it was a classic case of the right time at the at the right place at the right time, and I was talking to a gent. I was working as a barman, okay, um, and I was talking to a gentleman, and he said, "I know a customer that um, may well be interested in 
having a distiller. And I was like, really? Um, and it just so happened to be William Chase. Oh, wow. And then once you sort of once you were there, you, you were there, then sort of you kind of moved up the, the world in the world, as it were. So you were actually a distiller rather than sort of a, a production operative there. Yeah, so when, when I was at Laphroaig, it was a dual role between uh, the mash house and the still house. Right. Um, and I was one of nine production operatives working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, when I moved to Chase, it was a lot more distilling um, based. So I was one of two distillers. Wow. Um, and it was all about mashing the potatoes, fermenting them, stripping the alcohol out, and then rectifying it with the column still. Okay. And then where, where did you go after that? So once I finished with Chase, I um, after a kind of a fleeting job, job to job, kind of trying to get back into distilling, I ended up in Yeovil down in Somerset okay. for a company called Newton House Gin um, right. as, their, as their distiller. Um, so we, we just used uh, grain neutral spirit and then our, we had three 60 litre little copper pot stills um, with our recipe and we made a traditional London dry style gin. Okay. And then, and then was it after that, then you came to the South Ormsby estate? Yeah. So kind of in the world of distilling and craft gins, it's quite dog eat dog. Um, it's, uh, it's quite competitive. So right. after Newton House, I did my spell of consultancy work for, um, Avalon Distillery in Dorset, who produced Viper Gin, okay. and also for a gentleman uh, in Somerset who ambitiously is building England's largest commercial whiskey distillery down on Dartmoor. So I found myself kind of helping these two small, well, I say small, these two businesses create their distilleries and sourcing equipment and helping them with branding. And it kind of gave me a real taste for actually doing it myself. Which then, which leads us then to the um, the opportunity with South Ormsby Estate. And how did that come about? Just looking continuously on Indeed and online for distillery distillery op, uh, options and opportunities, and then yeah, Massenburg Monday were looking for a distiller to come in and build them a distillery. So they they had a purpose built building empty, um, right. in need of some. Um, some work and um, yeah I, I was very fortunate to be given the opportunity to move my whole family across to Lincolnshire and um, start this monumental project. And how, how long did it take to actually build the distillery? I'm, I'm still building. <laughs> <laughs> I started in August so it, it's literally a year to the day almost that I moved over Right. Okay. Um, and although, although you know the products are out there and we're, we're sales are coming in you know it's still a work in progress my packaging i've just got new packaging um oh, so, yeah, i yeah, saw the it, post the other still, day on that yeah so it, it's still it's still building it's still growing um but the actual setting up and the licensing and all that it probably took the best part of six to seven months oh um, really so yeah it's quite it's quite long-winded and um hmrc like to um complicate things as much as possible <laughs> <laughs> so so obviously from a gin 
production point of view you know gin starts with like a neutral grain or a potato spirit or a, or some some form of spirit and which is 96 degree proof but how does it go from there to the sort of gin sort of circa you know sort of 40 percent proof obviously it's a bit higher if it's a navy strength how, how does it how does it go from 96 degree proof down to 40 so what we do is we buy in the um 96 grain neutral spirit okay and then we'll dilute that down to um 40 uh, about 50 percent okay um just with 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 the state water right and then we'll put we'll put that 100 litres, so I'll put 50 litres of 96, 50 litres of water into our 120 litre uh, still. Okay. And then and then it's a case of putting our 14 botanicals in for burrows. Right. Or our 12 botanicals in for Marijan into the still. Right. And then personally, we, we macerate overnight. So we'll set up the evening before, we'll heat up the still, and then we'll switch it off and leave it to macerate overnight, allowing all those botanicals to um, infuse with the, the, the spirit um, for the oils and the flavors to come out of the dried um, fruit and the peels um, and then it's not actually until the next day that we do the distillation right and that 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 maceration process and then the art of the distillation that's when the the, the neutral spirit that's flavorless um, becomes gin okay and th- there are some other ways you can sort of flavour gin that don't involve a still. How, how do they work? Um, yeah, there, there, there's many ways to make gin. Um, there's many categories of gin. Um, so you can just um, infuse it, macerate it. So do do the first process that we do. So fill a vat full of um, spirit and then throw in your botanicals and let it infuse like you would at home with your slow gins or your, your damson gin. And it's just a case of macerating it and allowing it to, to um, flavor the gin and then obviously filtering, straining it out. Okay. Um, they're called compound gins. Right. Um, so there's different ways of distilling. You can column still, you can vacuum still, you can pot still, you know, there, there's, there's an endless way of making gin. Um, but I know when on the live the other day you were talking that actually you 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 can actually do a lot of because you're distilling you can actually reuse. I know you were talking about head, hearts, and tails. How how does that all work? Yeah, so when I'm in the middle of a distillation, um, when once distillation has started, there's three three parts of the of the liquid that comes off the still. Okay. So the first the first liquid that comes off is what we call the heads. Um, it's super strong. It contains methanol, which obviously you don't want in your drink. It's pretty dangerous to, to um, humans. Um, so that that heads is put to one side and stored. Okay. Once we've taken those heads off, we then come to our hearts. Now the hearts is what you want. The hearts is the flavour. It's the it's the right strength, um, and that normally runs from about eighty two percent down to 69, 70, depending on um, the flavour that's coming off the still. Okay. And that's what we call the hearts. That, that's essentially going to be turned into gin. Okay. And then once, once the strength gets down to about 69, 70, sometimes a little bit lower, it becomes too bitter. It, it starts tasting um, 
like you, you basically you don't want that flavor into your gin so that's what sure. we call the tail okay um so literally from 69 68 70 percent whichever i decide to take the cut down to zero percent we collect again so right. we collect the heads and the tails and we store those separately um just using the hearts for gin right okay i noticed also on the live that um your still is called angelica how did that come around so we actually um there's an angelica associated to the estate she she worked with the family um many moons ago right um i think it was mainly on kind of art and kind of that that direction right um so it had a link but we actually uh, ran a facebook uh competition um and then we chose the two best names and then let the public decide so oh, it was brilliant. actually decided by by the gin the gin fans um and the public um angelica and luckily it ties into the estate as well so and obviously because um you know you're able to um design or you have been able to design your own still i noticed for the burrell gin particularly you go through like an additional kind of botanical i call it a botanical bin but i'm sure it's that's not technically right um, that you 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 push the liquid through when you're distilling. How how does that work? Yeah. So when when I um when I do my burrows distillation, I put additional uh, botanicals up into a flavor chamber or a flavor basket. Okay. Um, so once the once the vapors come off the still, um, it then goes through this basket full of juniper and citrus peel and fruit, um, and it just kind of it gives more flavor to the heads and to the to kind of like the, the lighter flavors right um to your to your distillation um so it, it really adds depth and depth to your flavor profile as well which is really good but it kind of really accentuates the, the kind of head the higher notes of your um, flavor profile okay okay and that sort of kind of leads us quite nicely into um the two flavors of gin that you have um so could you explain your two two flavors and describe each of them from a sort of flavor pro profile perspective? Yeah, sure. Um, now, I'm a very traditionalist. I love my gin tasting like gin. <laughs> um, so when I was when I was creating burrows um, to tie in again with the estate and the tradition, the, the tradition, sorry, and the 400 year history that the estate has. Um, it was always going to be a traditional um, style gin, but with a bit of a contemporary twist. Um, so on the nose, you get a really nice, sweet, floral, peppery citrus, uh, lots of juniper. Okay. And then on the palate, it's unmistakably juniper-led, um, but it's got lots of creamy sweetness and mouthfeel to it. Okay. Which then kind of leads you on to a peppery citrus from the the kubub and the lime and tangerine and lemon. Um, but it's got a really unexpected kind of fruity twist to it. Okay. Now in the garden, in the garden of the distillery, we, we have three apple trees um, and on the estate we're surrounded with elderflower. So that, that unexpected fruity twist comes from the apples and elderflower that are grown on, on site. Oh, wow. Um, which kind of really, gives the gin uh, that contemporary traditional but contemporary feel 
and it kind of finishes it lingers with you in your on your on your throat in your on your palate it really just keeps giving after you've finished tasting it it kind of just keeps reminding you that it's there oh, and wow. it mellows into like caramelized tangerines um and it's just it's just delicious we we garnish we garnish barrels with fresh tangerine okay um to really to really bring that tangerine taste up um and also with a few black peppercorns just gives it a nice really nice balance between that citrus and pepper and then with with the marigian although it's a pink gin and it's unmistakably red berries on the nose um i wanted to keep it really traditional again so as close towards a london dry as possible so like i said on the nose it's unmistakably raspberry and strawberry with that little hint of lime but then on your palate it's really refreshingly sweet right. but it's still dry it, it people say you can't have sweet and dry together um but there's that initial berry sweetness that kind of mellows into that cranberry dry um hibiscus um finish which is really nice and again you got the citrusy peppery um undertones on there as well from the lime and the pink peppercorns okay the finish on your palate doesn't kind of it doesn't last as long as the burrows does it doesn't quite keep giving as as much as burrows does but it's almost marshmallow like with the with the finish right um so it, it's it's really really good, and with with that one we garnish it with um, fresh raspberries, okay, a wheel of lime, a wheel of lime, and a nice fresh sprig of mint. Oh, um, nice. So just really bringing all those flavours to the to the forefront. I noticed also um, on one of your posts, I think it was at the weekend, you did a sort of signature cocktail. Yeah, so I, I've been playing with I've been playing with a few cocktails for. Um, Burrows and Marijan, um, and the one my my favourite one is called the Holy Ghost. That's so the one. Angelica root, Angelica root is a vital um, botanical in gin. Um, so I made a Angelica root syrup, and okay. then the Holy Ghost cocktail is using that Angelica root um, syrup, um, and it just it's incredible. The floral. Um, smell and taste of the angelica root is just um delicious yeah i mean it looked amazing in the picture you posted it i must say it did the wife loved it until she found out it had egg in it <laughs> <laughs> well and talk talking about that i noticed on the live um that you on your bottle have a, a stag and uh, called stan and yeah. um you were you were talking about um maybe getting a mate for for because uh, I know um, your wife likes um, the Marijan, and you would, you, yeah. and I know you're a bit of a fan of the sort of burrows. The the question on everybody's lips is: Has Stag got a mate yet? <laughs> I'm still trying to find a doe <laughs> for Um I can find the stags, and very kindly Dundee uh, Gin um, supplied me with their stag for Um But yeah, I'm trying to find a female version of Stan the Stag um, so I can have a Lizzie, a Lizzie Doe on um, Marijan. But the search continues. So if anybody knows where I can get one. Well, you, you heard it here for, first, folks. If you know where 
where uh, Tristan can get a dough, please get in touch either with Tristan or myself and we'll try and see if we can get Stan a mate because we really need to do that. Yeah. So obviously the um, the gins themselves are, you know, based obviously in Massingbird Monday, which is the, the distillery that you set up. But how... Yeah. How would you describe the kind of the because it's really part of a wider brand, which is the great sorry the south. I, I always want to call it the Great Ormsby Estate, which is the South Ormsby Estate. Um, how would you describe yeah. that, or how would you describe Massingham Monday and how that fits into the uh, South Ormsby Estate? Well, South Ormsby Estate is a um, stunning three thousand acre estate in the heart of the Lincolnshire Wolds. Um, it includes four villages. We have 150 acres of parkland, um, and it's been it was owned it was owned by the Massingbird, and then later the Massingbird Monday family for nearly 400 years. Okay. So it was really important that the Massingbird Monday um, brand, which obviously takes the name from the family, um, was as traditional and as elegant and as as classy as the estate and the history um, tells us. So, you know, we, we, we are aiming for that exclusive high-end um, branding. And um, tell us a bit more about the, the South Ormsby estate and, and kind of, because um, I know it, it seems to encompass an awful lot of things. I, know, I noticed that they've got sort of like a, um, I don't know whether it's a butcher's or, or delicatessen, as well as obviously the Massingbone Monday distillery. What what? What other things have they got to offer? Yeah, so so John Thorns, who is the custodian of the estate, his his vision is to make um, South Ormsby and the surrounding villages a really lovely place to live, work, play, um, educate, um, and he really wants to breathe life back into um, a, a community that over the years is you know the post office is gone. Um, so he's just really trying to breathe life back into it. So as part of the South Ormsby estate branding, we have the Lincolnshire Red Cattle. Um, okay. We have one of the largest purebred herds of the Lincolnshire Red, um, which we, in the past, we've done steak boxes and we've got what the UK's largest beef smoker, which we've been doing uh, for certain events and hospitality. Okay. Um, on on. In addition to that, we've got the old rectory, which is now a stunning holiday home, um, short or long breaks, um, again, set on the estate in the heart of the Lincolnshire Worlds. Um, and also there's work on the old the old school. Um, hopefully in the future, it will be a nursery or an educational provider of some description. So it's really about kind of turning the estate into a hub for rural businesses bringing people to live and to work on on this on this glorious estate it's really it, it's really a hark back to sort of old england isn't it where you know you have had an estate which sort of employed people you lived on the estate um it's really nice to sort of see that kind of um that that kind of uh sort of atmosphere and environment kind of um sort of taking shape I know. I know. Also, on the live that you said that yeah. um, now South Ormsby Estate is is three thousand acres. But what was it before? Because I know it's sort of grown over the years. Uh, 
the, the estate itself is always looking for opportunities to, to buy more land, to own more property, to expand the estate. Um, so, you know, the, it, it was passed down from son to son. Even the odd daughter was passed on to it. Um, so each time they've had their own little twist and they've, they've had their own little kind of direction that they've taken the estate. Um, I know that uh, Charles Massingbird, Charles Burrell Massingbird, sorry, who, who our gin's made, uh, named after, he was one of the pioneers of change to the hall itself. Um, and then his, his wife, uh, Mary Jeanne, after he died, was instrumental in kind of that continued growth. So it's, it's really been a 400-year journey of expansion and development um, that still to this day is, is important that the estate grows and the estate helps people and breathes life back into this um, awesome part of the world. And, and you're talking about health. If you were to, dis if, if somebody was setting up a new sort of distillery and wanted to go and get their brand a bit better known and, and wanted to help with setup. How, how would you, you know, what advice would you give them knowing what you know, it's sort of a year down the line? Yeah. Um, really, really good question. Quite a hard question. Um, one thing I would say is first of all, take your time. Don't, don't rush. Um, things need to be really well planned and thought through. Um, second thing would be whatever you think it's going to cost, add at least 20, 25% onto it just to make sure because costs always seem to go up, never down. <laughs> and then, and then thirdly, thirdly, and kind of most importantly, really, really do your research about, um, who you're trying to target, um, what they, what they like. Um, and kind of try and find build a real good profile on who you're trying to um, who you're aiming to sell to, um, and then kind of understand the, that you'll come across, and then you can plan to lower those barriers. That's one of the biggest things that we've we've found is as soon as you've identified who your targets are, and then you've identified their um, their barriers, then you can start putting a plan in place to help lower those barriers and um, get people um, buying your gin. Okay, and and talking talking about that sort of um, looking at the sort of future, are you looking to maybe add a new flavour at some point? Um, I, I initially um, was going to start off with three gins. Okay. Um, however, I think it's vitally important. Um, to get the to get Burrells and Marijan embedded into the gin market and to get people excited and on board with the whole vision and the the story that we have um, until we've got Burrells and Marijan out there and people know us I think adding any more flavors or any more express, expressions is just going to dilute the focus okay and I think Certainly for year one, my, my sole focus is going to be on Burrells and Marijan. Um, but that being said, research and development is always important. So I am continuously um, playing around with flavours and kind of what, what's grown on the estate. So in the wall garden of the hall, there was a load of cherry trees. So I've got some um, macerated cherry gin on the go. 
Okay. Um, one of the tenants, one of the tenants on the estate has six black re- uh, blackcurrant bushes. So I've got some different blackcurrant gins on the go. One with cocoa, one with um, juniper. So there's always a little bit of experimentation going on to see what the future could bring. Um, but no, certainly year one, it's it's all about the two that I've got um, and getting those two um, embedded into the market. Okay, and. I was amazed by your bottles. So how did you come up? Because, you know, you're talking about getting them into the market. Um, how did you come up with the bottle design? And or tell us about it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so first off, I had to choose a bottle. Um, so it was a case of ringing around bottle manufacturers, um, sending me some samples of different shapes, sizes, um, and then once I have them in hand, it's kind of try. I I spent a lot of time thinking about the practicality of the bottles before okay. I'd even thought about design. Um, it's about practicality. So you know, if I'm if I'm going wholesale to pubs and restaurants, if I'm in a big, tall, thin bottle, they're going to put me at the back of the bar. Um, if I'm in a in a shorter, dumpier bottle, they're going to put me at the front of the bar. Um, if Makes I'm sense. going down the wholesale if i'm going down the wholesale route to supermarkets if i'm in a big tall lanky bottle it may not fit into their merchandising plan um whereas if i'm in a short dumpy bottle it's nine times out of ten it's going to fit um so they they were kind of the, the choices that led me to a smaller dumpier bottle um and then the the bottle we chose um it's just a really good quality piece of glass that feels good in your hand from a from a bartending point of view it's nice to hold it's got the wee bubble under the bottom like a champagne bottle would have so you can use it you can pour it using it that method yeah. and it just felt a really really good quality glass and the shape of the neck was beautiful and i just i just kind of fell in love with that that shape um Currently as well, I think we're the only company in the UK that uses this bottle, okay. which was another big selling point. So it's another USB that, you know, you, there's no other, I haven't got a competitor in the, in the UK that uses my bottle, uh, which was really good. And then going on to design, it was more of the case that I had the names and we had chosen two figures um, from the South Ormsby history. Uh, obviously, Charles Burrell Massingbird. Uh, and his second wife, Marie Jeanne. And um, I, re- I was really keen that I didn't want a front and back label. I just wanted one label. Um, but then at the same time, I was really keen that I wanted their portrait on the bottle so people could see who who they are. Um, so it was kind of, how do I get two images onto one label? Um, and then... I worked with a design company and without really telling them my vision, they came up with the idea of um, putting the portrait on the inside of the rear label, uh, which is kind of spooky because that's exactly what I kind of was hoping <laughs> they would do. Um, and that, that's where it came from. So the, the, the portraits of the, of Marie-Jeanne and Charles Burrow, actually the portraits are, that are hanging in the, the hall, uh, and I've got to say, they look absolutely phenomenal. You did a couple of posts, particularly the Marie-Jeanne, um flavor. It just looks sensational but with that, you know, sort of 
you've got the pink kind of gin and then highlighted sort of behind that is the portrait it's just you know i i have not seen anything so far in the marketplace that does that it really is a massive usp yeah and that, and that's what we were hoping for but you know if, if you do if we do go down the wholesale route and it's in a wine shop or it's in waitrose or wherever um it's about people they'll buy with their eyes um they're not going to have the opportunity to taste it they may not know what it tastes like but if the bottle grabs their attention they go cool that's different um it's 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 all about them buying into it with their eyes and then you know the portraits are oversized so the whole portrait doesn't fit in the front of the bottle right we like that that the fact that it it leads into intrigueness and customers are going to pick it up to to reveal the whole image and that's another barrier, you know. Once it's in their hand, um, it's more likely to end up in baskets or trolleys or absolutely. Well, and particularly if they feel the glass. Exactly, exactly. But you know, people think it's quite easy just to come up with these ideas, but actually, there's a there's a huge amount of thought uh, goes into every possibility. Um, you know, currently wholesale isn't isn't an option for us. We're not we're not looking to do it uh, large scale. But the thought was there if we did, you know, year two, year three, if we did go down the whole wholesale market, how does our branding work and fit into that? So go back to my earlier thing about advice to people who are starting up, you know, plan for every eventuality, think about branding um, and think about the impact your branding is going to have on any opportunity that will prevent present itself to you. Well, I think that, I think that is a great piece of advice, and I think that's a great way to sort of end um, our, our chat. But before I, I sort of uh, you go, um, I would uh, love you to tell people where they can get in touch with you. Yeah, so um, currently the the only way uh, people can purchase our gins is from the South Ormsby Estate website. So they can just go on to the, the website and then on the website, there's the products page um, where you can buy gin, you can buy beef. Um, so, yeah, currently that's the only the only way um, is to head over to the South Ormsby website. OK, well, and I'll make sure that that goes into the, the show notes so people can easily um, get to there. And uh, what about if people want to get in touch with you? Um, yeah, people can email me. Um, they can get me on social media uh, through through the Massenburg Monday uh, products page or or my own um, page. I'm very active on social media. It's a it's a huge tool. So yeah, that if they if they have any questions or they want to reach out, then just yeah, that's probably the easiest way. Okay, and I'll, I'll certainly put those in the in the in the show notes. And and finally, mm-hmm. um, what is your favourite gin? other than your own and how would you serve it well this is a this is a it, it, it's quite a hard one i love gin um <laughs> i have to choose one from about five or six that are in my cupboard that are my favorites i would probably choose uh, now the bottles i have are called garden tiger they've actually renamed them it's from the Capriolus Distillery um, near where I grew up in Sirencester. Okay, they've now called it Garden Swift. Um, they've renamed it to Garden Swift. Okay, and it's just an incredible. Um, it, it 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 contains thirty seven botanicals. Wow, 
it's got organic blood orange, spices, flowers, berries, um, and it is just incredible. It's it's so rich, but it's so complex. Um, what I find is every time you take a sip, um, it just kind of presents something different to you. The first time you think, oh, orange, and the next time you think, oh, and it just it just takes your brain and your palate on a on a um, tour of so many flavors and spices. It's 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 really really good. And and how would you serve that? Um, personally, I I drink it neat. Okay. <laughs> I, I I don't want to, I don't want to um to change it by adding tonic. Uh, personally, I would just put it in a in a whiskey glass with with maybe a. A, a big cube of ice or a big ball of ice um and then i just sip it okay um if i was to, if i was to mix it um it will be a light tonic i don't do um full fat tonics i just i prefer the lighter less um, sugary less fizzy option and just with orange and fresh mint uh, really really like bring home that blood orange flavor with that fresh citrusy mintness so yeah, fresh orange and mint for me. I've I've got to be honest. It, it's so interesting hearing people and their favourite gin because uh, I am going to be broke by the time the end of this year <laughs> comes because I keep on having to go out and wanting to purchase sort of new gins. Because, and and lastly, the the last question to you: What does gin mean to you? Gin means to me. Um, my first memory of gin um, was probably when I was like eleven or twelve, probably even younger. And my grandfather, um, my grandpa would be drinking a gin and tonic with Angus Stewart's bitters in it. Uh-huh. Um, and just for me, it's just amazing to see how far that that's come. You know, now it's a global craze, um, just encompassing the world. But the history of gin, um, you know, from the Anglo-Dutch wars to the late 16th century medicines, um, it's just fascinating. And Juniper has played such a, massive part in what gin is um and that's what gin means to me it's all about that juniper and balancing the other botanicals around um juniper um and just creating such a diverse category of spirit you know gin can be so that's the beauty of gin it's so versatile and varied um and as as a distiller it just allows it allows my creative juices to just push boundaries and push push people's tastes as far as i can take them and that's that's kind of what gin's about for me brilliant well thank you very much for coming on to the gin ignite podcast you're welcome thanks for having me well i'd like to say thank you very much to tristan for coming on the show that was really really interesting it's nice to sort of get a viewpoint from a distiller i think been very interested that Four Pillars Gin seems to have gone into jams. Uh, they've particularly got one called Breakfast Negroni, which sounds quite interesting. Stockport Gin has also been ramping up their presence. They seem to have been to many indoor markets. There's been lots of very or various posts that I've seen on, regarding them. And we've had lots of IWSC awards. Pitwheel has won silver for their original spice. The Edge Gin has won silver for their London Dry Gin. Lava Spirits, even though there was only a day old, they had a bronze. And Crochet Gin for their Orange Zest Gin had a bronze as well. This week's Instagram shout out is Geordie's Love Gin. I love the fact that Andy and Judith are daughter and mum and they do this together. 
I have loved some of their posts. They've been absolutely amazing. I picked out a couple because I think they were just really ones that, that deserve kind of picking out. Andy dressed in a Gin Credible uniform with the sort of um uh sort of makeup that sort of formed a mask was was amazing to advertise the fact that warner's london dry gin was very very cheap i believe from asda at the time also i loved their post on marie Jeanne, the the sort of two glasses together and the rose it was just a really really nice presentation and also i like the fact that they get quite topical so when we all had to wear masks to go into shops Andy put on a Ginfluencer kind of mask, which was uh, really good. And I felt sort of very, very topical. Also, uh, they've done something on the Holy Island Sea Pink Gin. And they actually did two posts. And I love the first one because it sort of was saying, oh, look, what's washed up on our shores. And it was kind of on the beach um, with the, the gin in there. And the second presentation looked just amazing sort of had a flower and um, sort of a bit of foliage and that kind of thing and it was really you know you sort of really sort of thought of the 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 sea and that kind of thing and also she did her first live this week with Tristan and it was really good and really diverse and I really liked it because effectively she had actually gone out to a restaurant and kind of got the restaurant owner involved and some of the restaurant participants to actually try the gin so that was a really interesting and novel way and novel spin to put on a, a live. Her posts really are always fun. She has a great logo and I love the fact that she's put a logo on the sweatshirt. And I'd also like to do a big shout out to her mum who's just started up at Super Lush Cards and they seem to produce some amazing cards. So have a look at that at Super Lush Cards. I would love to hear from you. If you want to get in touch, please do so at Gin Ignite on Instagram or Twitter. If you've got an idea for the podcast, either one of those direct messages that I've just mentioned or podcast.ideas at ginignite.com. If you just want to have a general chat, then please get in touch with me on gin.gossip at ginignite.com. The thing that I like about the gin community that I've met so far is that nobody judges anyone for what they believe, what they look like or who they choose to be. The world would be a better place if everybody took that view. Grab your drink, toast those you love, enjoy your weekend, and whether you decide to party or stay in, I will be with you in spirit. Seriously though, enjoy your weekend, and I look forward to joining you for another episode next Friday. Cheers! Cheers!